there are no trigger warnings in today's episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 24 of Emetophobia Help. I'm Anna Christie from Vancouver, Canada, recovered emetophobic, licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia, and your host for this podcast. Once again, I've been having a little trouble with guests uh, not showing up for recording and then ghosting me. So, And sometimes I can scramble and get a different guest in, but um, not always. So today's podcast is a little bit of a cheerleading endeavor for both therapists and people who suffer from emetophobia. And it's about exposure and response prevention as an important part of cognitive behavioral therapy. First, to the emetophobic people, I want to say two things which may come as a surprise to you if you've had CBT for your emetophobia and it hasn't really helped you. I read this sort of statement a lot on social media. Things like, I tried everything and nothing has worked. And CBT is often included in their list of everything that they've tried. But here's the thing, just because you tried CBT for your emetophobia and it didn't help probably means that you didn't have the right therapist or your therapist wasn't using the proper protocols for treating emetophobia with CBT. The other thing I read and hear from emetophobic people is that they are terrified of doing exposure or that they've tried exposure and it was too frightening or it didn't work. So first of all, exposure should never be too frightening to even try. It should not begin with watching videos of people doing what you fear or of sitting in an ER, A&E waiting room and hoping that someone is doing it near you. That is way too far up the hierarchy to begin exposure, either of those things. I begin with my clients uh, just looking at the V word on a page all by itself. I know and have read that this may be too difficult or triggering for some of you. That's okay. Then we'd begin with just the letter V and some stars after it, as we see it a lot in the Facebook groups. We might then move on to look at the whole word then a list of words, and then reading some sentences or paragraphs with the word in it. Then we move to drawings of a cartoon character just looking unwell. And then maybe some silly cartoons, uh, and then on to real people just looking unwell, and so on from there. So one step at a time, it gets easier and easier to move to the next level. By the end, you'll be listening to sounds and watching nasty videos. Then you'll be doing things to make yourself nauseous and mimic a panic attack, like spinning around or running on the spot to get your heart rate up or breathing through a straw. I've got a million of them. The treatment does not end with you yourself becoming ill. That would be terribly unethical, and it doesn't really work anyway, as you know, if it's happened to you and your phobia came right back. Now, don't be put off by what things I have just mentioned, the spinning around, the all, all of that, uh, even the watching of videos. You've got to remember, I tell all my clients, it's like you've fallen down a hole, but there's light at the top 
of the hole and you can see a staircase that goes up. So all you have to do is walk up the steps one at a time. Right now, if you're at the bottom of the hole, you cannot get to the top step, which may be spinning around, you know, or, or whatever kind of interoceptive thing that, that your therapist comes up with. You can't, it's impossible. But you don't worry about that. You just worry, can I get to the first step? Can I look at the letter V with some stars after it? That's the first step. Can I do that? I think I can do that. Okay. From that step, you go to the next step so that each step is only a tiny bit more difficult than the one before. We don't want your anxiety to go up above five or six out of 10. And I like to work at five and below if people start at zero or one. I always tell every client as well, you're in the driver's seat. You don't have to look at anything or do anything if you don't want to. If one step is too big of a step from the one before, then that's on me. I need to find something just a bit easier for you to look at in between. And I don't judge people who tell me on any given day that they can't look at something. And there are hundreds of thousands of therapists just like me. <laughs> I'm not special in that regard. Um, good therapists don't judge people. To be honest, actually, in 10 years of doing this, I've never had anyone tell me they were not able to continue through the exposure work once they started it. Now, the response prevention that I do, so this is ERP, Exposure and Response Prevention. The response prevention that I do is the giving up of the client's safety behaviors. I have them list all of their safety and avoidance behaviors at the beginning. And throughout the treatment program, I ask them what they're ready to give up. Are you ready to give up having mints? Are you ready to give up sipping water all the time? Are you ready to give up that safety kit that you travel around with? Um, and, and you give it up at your own pace. Slowly, over four to six months, when I work with people, um, I, I have them give up all of their safety behaviors by the end. And people may also be avoiding certain foods or restricting their food intake. This must also be addressed um, as they slowly, bite by bite, make their way back to eating everything they would normally like to eat if they weren't emetophobic. Getting back to eating again, if they've been severely restricting, can even take a year or two. So that can be a long process. Finally, to the therapists out there who are listening, I want to say this. Emetophobia can only be treated with ERP. You can do cognitive restructuring exercises all you like, having people you know, what evidence do you have for this theory that's in your head? And, and what's the evidence to the contrary? I know all, all about cognitive restructuring. And these exercises can be very valuable because emetophobics do need to change the way they think about it. But without exposure work, your client will probably end the therapy early. Then they'll go on to say on social media that they tried CBT and it didn't really help their phobia at all. The same can be said of EMDR. Now, I'm actually a fan of EMDR, and I found it very helpful in my own healing journey. It did not change my phobia or the severity of it one bit. 
I have heard the same from dozens and dozens of clients and hundreds of emetophobics online. So do EMDR if you like. It's great to open up some of that old stuff and reprocess some emotions, especially around early trauma. But don't expect that the person's phobia will improve. I have yet to hear of that. Please contact me if that has worked for you or your client. I'd love to have you come on the show and talk about it. Hypnosis can also be a great adjunct therapy to help people relax their bodies. And I've heard of one or two cases where hypnosis has helped the phobia, but probably hundreds of stories of people for whom it has not helped at all. Back to CBT. So yes, go ahead and do cognitive restructuring, but for goodness sake, also do exposure. Don't just assign it for homework. Do it with them in the session. I assign it for homework only after we've done it together in session. So I don't try to get the client's SUD level down to zero in session while they're looking at something. I just want to make sure it's low enough that they can go on and look at that particular picture um, or watch that video, you know, 20, 30 times at home if they need to. I read a troubling account in the latest edition of Abramowitz et al.'s book, Exposure Therapy for Anxiety. Great book. If you haven't read it, it's a must read. He said that most CBT therapists do not do exposure. I think it was as low as 22%, don't quote me on that number, but it was really low, that actually use exposure. Um, They either say they don't know how, or more commonly, they think it will upset the client and make them worse. There is no evidence for this if you do it properly. In fact, quite the contrary. Evidence is quite obviously in favor of doing exposure. And I think that that is the same for emetophobia as it is for other phobias. Um, Although I will say that there have only been, I think, three peer-reviewed published studies done on emetophobia since 1983, um, specifically about doing CBT or exposure work with with clients, and they all do exposure. They do. Um, Will the client run away and never come back or get very, very upset or not be helped if you start them too far up the hierarchy? Yes, they very well could. They very well could. Um, So you don't want to start with sending them to the ER slash A&E or to, um, you know, watching videos right at the beginning. You want to start, and all of this is on my website. You don't even have to think about digging up things that are, it's all free. There's no ads on my website. You don't have to sign up for anything. If you don't want the free ebook, you just click the X and, and it's all right there for you at emetophobiahelp.org. So I'll leave you today with a story from the Tour de France. If you're not familiar, this is the longest and most famous bicycle race in the world, the one that Lance Armstrong won several times, even though it was later discovered, sadly, that he cheated. Anyway, when the cyclists go through the small towns and villages of France, people line the streets and cheer for them as they whiz by, and they say, courage, courage, which is a French word or expression that means have courage, have courage. It's an odd sort of cheer in one way, and in another, it makes perfect sense. 
So if you don't know about ERP, learn. There are lots of continuing education courses, and and now, thanks to COVID, a lot of them are online. There are great books to read. Just remember that cognitive behavioral therapy is both cognitive and behavioral. Courage. Well, that's all for today. Uh, Thanks to all of you who are listening and subscribing each week. We've now had over 7,000 downloads of our podcast to date, which is just amazing. There are costs associated with the podcast, so if you're finding it helpful, uh, you can just buy me a coffee. (laughs) Just look down at the bottom of the notes on this episode. You'll see a link right there. You can click and buy me a coffee for a couple of bucks or a couple of pounds. I encourage you also to go to my website at emetophobiahelp.org. It has a ton of information for emetophobics, all the resources you need as a therapist to treat emetophobia with CBT. It has a therapist list, which I'm slowly building, of other therapists um, in the English-speaking world who treat emetophobia. Um, and so that's emetophobiahelp.org, or just Google emetophobia help. And I will be back with you next week. Meantime, stay safe, get vaccinated if you can, wear a mask, social distance by two meters, and wash your hands for 20 seconds. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye.